Here's a sneak peek of what you're in store for on this episode of This Is Woman's Work. There's critical conversations that are happening all the time. So think ahead to those instead of taking the chance in the moment that you're going to know the right thing to say. Khalil, and you're tuning in to the This Is Woman's Work podcast, where together we're redefining woman's work. And it doesn't matter how you choose to define it for yourself, it is always going to include the skill of communicating. Because everything you do, every relationship you have and build, and every goal you're striving for would benefit from more impactful and influential communication. And whether you like it or not, that includes sales conversations because you're always selling something, your product, your vision, your services, your value. And let's face it, people with far less talent and care than you are winning opportunities because they're better at selling. And let me share that this is a skill I've both taught and avoided, done well, and absolutely sucked at. I still, to this very day, catch myself using softening words like maybe, or just, or sorry even though I know it doesn't serve me. I still overthink how many exclamation marks to use in an email, how honest is too honest, and what information to give up front versus being long-winded and going into information overload. Because I know it's not just me. I've asked Nicole Kramer, sales coach, speaker, CEO, and exactly what to say certified guide to join us today. Nicole specializes in high-touch, relationship-based selling that has multiplied conversion rates by over 400%. Yes, you heard that right, over 400%. She's going to help us to turn more of our conversations into clients, and I couldn't be more excited to learn from her. Nicole, thank you for joining me, and let me start by asking if you agree that we are, in fact, all in sales. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Nicole. And super excited to be here. Yes, we are all selling something. We're all in the business of selling something. And I I think for me, that really came through in a big way when I was going to get my first sales job. I went on an interview and I had no sales experience. And my biggest fear was that the guy was going to say, I can't hire you because you don't have experience. And that's exactly what he said. (laughs) And up to that point, I had been a high school math teacher for 15 years. And so he said to me, listen, you just did an amazing job with this interview. To be honest, you knocked it out of the park. I'm going to have trouble hiring you though, over the 89 internal people who want this position because you've never sold anything. And he held up my resume and he said, you, you're just a teacher. And I said, well, you know, I sold high school math for 15 years to a bunch of teenagers. And that wasn't an easy sell. And he looked at me, he goes, wow, you're good. But you know who I said that for Nicole? Me. Because in that moment, as I said that, it made me realize, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I I was selling high school math. There was no exchange of money, but there was an energetic exchange. And that really came through in a powerful way for me. And so, yeah, we're all in the business of selling something. I I love that story. And one of the things that just sort of popped in my mind when you shared it is how often we actually have insight and we sort of know what people are going to say and what their objections are going to be. Um, just kind of reminded me to trust her instincts and and then also to maybe be prepared for some of those. So that's maybe a later conversation, but I know one of the things that you are known for is the four steps to influence and impact in sales conversations. 
I'd love to start there and talk a little bit about each of those four steps and maybe dig into some follow-up questions as we're going through it. So can you either start with step one or, or go over them and let's dive in? Yeah, well, that was like the perfect segue because what you just mentioned about, you know, thinking ahead to how you might handle something, that actually is the first cornerstone of conversational excellence, which is the worst time to think about what you're going to say is the moment you're going to say it. And I, I like to I like to tell people, listen, we all know in, in sales, if you're in a sales role, you know the objections you're going to get. They're all the same ones, right? Time, money, there's some somebody else needs to be a part of the decision making. Um, we know them, they're common. So why do we keep putting ourselves up against them without preparing for how to handle them, how to respond to them, right? Because I don't think it's ever really about overcoming objections. I think it's learning how to handle objections. Some objections are not meant to be overcome, um, but learning how to handle them. And when you know that you're going to hear them, why would you wait until the moment you hear it to decide what to say? So that's really the first cornerstone is be prepared, use scripts, think ahead. What are my critical conversations? What types of things might come up in that critical conversation or those, you know, we, we all have critical conversations that are happening on repeat. Do you have team meetings once a week? Well, those are really important, right? The conversations you're having with your team, the conversations you have with your partner at home, there's critical conversations that are happening all the time. So think ahead to those instead of taking the chance in the moment that you're going to know the right thing to say. Okay, so two follow-ups from that. The first being, I loved how you said some objections are not meant to be overcome. And I have experienced both myself and, and with a lot of conversations, two things. Number one, this feeling that we're supposed to, right? Like that we're supposed to have the magic language that will solve every objection. And then the second part is that we view too many things as objections, as opposed to a logical next point in the conversation or a, a totally normal question to have at this stage in the process. But we're so afraid and we view them as objections that I think, kind of think we can shoot ourselves in the foot by over-dramatizing them a little bit. So thoughts on that? Yeah. So first of all, yeah, not, not all objections are meant to be overcome. Some of them are red flags that you need to see for exactly what they are, right? Like we don't necessarily, just because we're in a conversation with somebody like, and, and, you know, everybody sells different things. So I, I know the selling process might be different for everybody, but you don't want to just sell something to somebody just because, right? And for, for me, I work with a lot of coaches and I always say, look, it's a very intimate container. You don't want to just invite anybody into it. And sometimes those objections are there because it's actually showing you, oh, this isn't the kind of person I want to work with, right? So I think it's really important to see them for what they are. And what I like to tell people is most of the time, objections are just mini buying signals. That's really what they are, right? It, it's like, because if somebody doesn't want something, they're just going to say, I don't want that. But if they are objecting, we in our, in our mind of fear, like, oh, they're saying they don't want it, but really they're saying, I do want it, but let me just check on this one thing and make sure that, that this will work or that this is okay. And, you know, I, I use this really crazy example to explain this a lot, but I think it really comes through for people. If you, Nicole, were to say to me, hey, I'm going to stab you in the eye with a fork. I'd be like, I don't want that. Right. I'd, I'd be very clear. I don't want that. No, thank you. Thank you. Not interested. <laughs> Not interested. I wouldn't say, well, do you think it's going to hurt? I don't, I don't know if I have the time. Like, do you think I'd have to go to the hospital today? Like, do you think it would bleed a lot? 
I'm not going to ask those questions, but in a sales conversation, those types of questions, that's what they're just trying to find out more information. They're saying, I think I want this and I'm not quite sure. So an objection many times is your inv invitation to continue the conversation, to, to help share whatever information they need in order to make a buying decision. Cause that's really what they're telling you that they're trying to make. Yeah. Oh God. So many good things in there. The second thing I did want to ask though, is what do you say to somebody who's like, oh, I, I don't want to do scripts. It's too canned or too salesy. Um, Cause I agree with you completely. Like that the worst time to figure out what to say is when, when it's coming out of your mouth. Right. And I also sometimes know, especially scripts that are given to us can sometimes feel really inauthentic or cheesy. How do we strike the balance? Well, first of all, write your own, make it your own, right? Don't, don't just take a script because somebody said, well, this one worked for me and, and try to read it verbatim because it's not yours. It's not, it's not your energy, but also the first time you read it, it's not going to feel like yours, right? If, if here's what I like to say, if you've ever watched a movie and you've cried, or watched a movie and laughed or elicited some kind of emotion because of what you were watching on that movie, you better believe that person delivered those lines that they learned from a script. Now, by the time they were delivering them on camera, they had learned them to the degree where it was their own, but that came through practice and repetition. We are exactly the same. You're learning a set of lines, but you're not necessarily gonna read it verbatim you're going to practice it by reading it and maybe practice with a partner. And then you're going to be off script when you're in the conversation, but you'll have such a familiarity with how you wanted the conversation to go. It will feel natural. It won't feel like you're reading from a script, but you prepared yourself to feel comfortable and confident in knowing what to say. I am all in on step one, all such good things in there. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about step two. Yeah. Step two, it's one of my favorites, and, and I guess it's not necessarily a step, but it, it's, it's really a, a way to approach your sales conversations, and you want to always approach them with curiosity, because curiosity is the tool that you have to show somebody that you care, and ultimately, that's what people want. More than being right, more than, than be, they want to feel cared about, and in order to make a buying decision, that is something that has to be in place, right? People buy from people they know, like, and trust. Well, they trust you. They feel like you care about them. And curiosity is also a way to really uncover and learn more about that person versus just coming in with such certainty about here's what I want from this conversation. I just think it's so important to remember when we are just trying to prove our point, that's a lot of noise to somebody else, unless we've taken the time to gather context for why that point might have a place in that conversation. And the, the way I like to say this to people as well, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. If a doctor were to prescribe something without properly diagnosing, well, we are the same. That's what we're doing in a sales conversation. You don't wanna diagnose somebody with your solution unless you've uncovered a true need for that problem. And or, or, or for that solution. And so your willingness to stay curious and open up the conversation and get that person talking is a really powerful way to help them see why they actually need the thing, not you telling them that they need it. That completely jives with my experience of observing some of the best salespeople. They listen more, talk less. It's really interesting. So 
Do you have any like good curiosity questions that are just, maybe it's like, tell me more about that. Or what does that mean to you? Like that we could just have in our back pocket and pull out uh, in those moments where we don't know what to say, but we want to be curious. Yeah. One, one of the most simple, easiest ones to use just out of curiosity. If, if you preface anything that you're about to say with that, it's like, literally you're leading with curiosity, right? I like to say just out of curiosity, what makes you say that? I just want to understand, right? Or unpack that a little bit for me. So good. Right. Like let's get underneath. And, and that's really all it is. We don't need to say more than that. Cause this is actually cornerstone number four, but I'll give you a little sneak peek here. The person in control of the conversation is the person asking the questions. And so that's really all you need to be prepared with are some good questions to keep that person talking because more often than not, they're going to hear themselves say their answers, which is the most powerful thing that can happen. And you're going to hear them say it as well, which is really important because again, you're trying to help that person make a buying decision, not talk them into something. And they need to hear their answers to really gain that context. Like, oh, wow, I really do need this thing. So asking good questions and having them unpack things and staying curious gets them talking and probably sharing things that they didn't even realize were going on in their head until they said it out loud. Again, excellent stuff. I think we as humans want to be right more than we want to be anything else. So when we say our own answers or, you know, our trust level and our belief in, in that answer goes up <laughs> dramatically. So, okay, right. let's talk about the third cornerstone or step. Uh, in sales. Yeah. The third one is building empathy. And here's what's important to remember. People do things for their reasons, not yours. And if we remember that, then coming into a conversation with our agenda isn't going to be the reason that other person wants to make a decision or wants to do anything different. So ultimately your job is to really truly gain an understanding of why they would want to make this decision. I like to say, everybody listens to the same radio station. It's WIIFM. What's in it for me? So this idea that in a sales conversation, they should want to do something because of something that we want is actually completely backwards. And you have to go into it really trying to gain that understanding of what would make them want to make this decision. How can I really build empathy in this conversation and understand their point of view, understand where they're coming from. And a lot of times it's a great way to kind of help them see through their own BS, if you will, <laughs> right? Like sometimes they have their reasons and, and their, their excuses, their limitations. And as they, as you get them talking and they start sharing it, it's like, oh, right. They have these realizations where they realize they're having, they're keeping themselves stuck and they're not moving forward, but it's them saying it out loud. That's going to lead them to that understanding. So you taking that time to understand them helps them understand themselves better. Okay, so this might fall in the category of overthinking, but if empathy, putting yourself in their shoes as to why they would want this or why they would do this is important, should we also spend some time thinking about why they wouldn't do it or why, you know, like, again, to kind of understand what their objections or concerns or barriers might be? Thoughts on that? Yeah. I think those are great. Again, you know, going back to staying curious. Yeah. I liked, like in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, is there a reason why you wouldn't want to do this? Cause sometimes when people start sharing 
I mean, let's be honest in a sales conversation, what do you do first? You uncover the pain. I mean, you know, you have your, your greeting and hello and whatever, but then you jump right into you're uncovering pain points. And as they're spilling their guts more or less about here's what's going on. Here's why I don't want to be where I am. Here's why I'm stuck. Here's what I haven't figured out the whole time. My brain's going, why wouldn't you want to take the next steps to do something about this. Why wouldn't you? And, and, and our job in the conversation is to help them see that too. Like, are you hearing yourself? <laughs> and then at the end, you're gonna choose to stay stuck. And so a lot of times what I like, this is a great question that I use very often in my sales conversations. I'll say, I'm hearing that there is some definite desire to want to do this. And I'm also hearing some hesitation just out of curiosity, why won't you just say no? So very often they're talking themselves into it because they'll say, well, I don't want to say no, because I know I need this and I haven't been able to figure this out on my own. And, and, and then it's like, one of the most powerful things we can do when we ask a question is to just shut up and listen <laughs> and, and all that needs to come out will come out. And I, I just think that's a really powerful way to, again, encourage them to make a decision. Like I'm just listening to you and you've just shared a lot of things that sound really uncomfortable for you to be dealing with, but you're also hesitating. So why won't you just say no? Oh, that's so powerful. Because And it leads me to my next question is having courageous or somewhat maybe confrontational conversations in sales. Um, you did that beautifully because you're putting the challenge back on them. But any tips or thoughts about having some of those more challenging, direct conversations when somebody might be buying into their own BS or hemming and hawing or wasting your time or no showing you or whatever, you know, the challenges mm -hmm. might be. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually cornerstone four, it, which is having the courage to ask the questions, right? So I, I said it earlier, I gave you a little sneak preview. The person in control of the conversation is the person asking the questions. And that means throughout the entire conversation, having the courage to ask, because it goes back to what I said earlier. If somebody's describing all of their pain points and how uncomfortable they are and how they don't want to be where they are anymore, I'm just really confused and curious if they're hesitating in making a decision, but I can't call them out on it and be like, well, you said all this stuff that you're unhappy with, what's wrong with you that you can't make a decision. That's not gonna work, right? That's never, that's friction. That's creating friction that isn't gonna do the conversation any good. Staying curious is what gives you the courage to ask those questions. Because if you're genuinely curious, it's like, I don't know, based on everything you just described to me, it sounds pretty shitty. <laughs> why would you not want to do something about this, right? Or you might even preface it and say, it sounds like what you've described is something that really is uncomfortable for you. What would hold you back from doing something about this? Let them identify, right? Let's isolate. What's the reason that you wouldn't want to do something about this? But I need them to hear that. And to be honest, it happened to me, one of my very first conversations with a business coach that I was going to hire, I told her all the reasons why I need it. I was like, I haven't figured this out. I, I've never owned a business. I don't know how to start a business, da, 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 da. all the reasons why I hadn't done what I knew she could help me do. And then when it came right up to the time of the investment conversation, I was like, well, uh, you know, and I started fighting for my limitations. And she said, Nicole, just out of curiosity, are you more committed to your dreams or to your comfort zone? And in that moment, I was like, and, and you said this earlier, Nicole, and it's so true. Time is the most precious thing we have. It is not renewable. And when I realized in that moment, I had spent 45 minutes telling her all the things that I couldn't figure out on my own and that I hadn't been able to do. And then what? I was just going to spend that 45 minutes telling my story 
and not do anything about it and choose to keep myself stuck. And so for me, that was a big eye-opener. And so I now have the courage to ask people in conversations to stay curious with them because I just think I can't understand why you would share your time and your story and then choose to stay stuck at the end of it if you know I have a solution that can help you. So that's where my curiosity brain goes. And that's what I teach my clients that gives them the confidence to ask questions. Because if you're genuinely curious, it's like, why wouldn't you want to do something about this? Oh, God, it's so good. Again, I, I love the frame of staying in curiosity and empathy. I, those are I, like sales superpowers, it seems. One of the things we mentioned before we hit record that I'd love to kind of circle back on is I personally believe that women have an advantage in sales. But the problem is we don't know and believe we have an advantage because the reality is most of the most successful salespeople and the people we're learning from and who write the books are men. So we're learning about it from more of a masculine lens. What are, in your opinions, are superpowers or, or, or advantages or unique abilities as women that we should be mindful of as we're thinking about sales conversations? Such a great question. And, and I agree with you. I think I think we're still in an evolution of sales becoming more of, of a something that women are seen as doing, right? Like we, we have lived in a man's world for a very long time and sales wasn't necessarily something that, that women acclimated it. Well, and let's be honest, none of us really came out of the womb and said, I want to be a salesperson, regardless of your gender, right? <laughs> and um, I think women naturally are nurturers. Women naturally are caretakers and sales is about a relationship. And to me, it, it's no different than building a relationship with anybody. And I think women have a really great ability to show that they care, to nurture people, to build that trust. And to me, that's one of the best reasons why I think women are really good at sales naturally because they genuinely care about people. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's maybe a belief or I think part of it too, that turns women off is it's always been such a, the approach to it is so masculine and so aggressive yeah. that always it felt like <laughs> always be closing, right? ABC, like the, it, it, and that's always been the mentality. Like if, if you're not first, you're last, like, you know, and it was like, it doesn't feel, I, I, I don't think that energy around that feels good. And so I think people assume that's what sales is because in many ways, that's how it's always been perceived. Um, and it's really not, it's really a beautiful, gentle, feminine art of building relationships with people. And to be honest, that was my story years ago. I mean, I was in the corporate world and, and my whole goal when I jumped into the corporate world was to be number one in the nation. And I did that. And I certainly did that through building relationships and caring about people. But my goal was the numbers. My goal was the activity. My goal was number one. And after doing that, I was number one for a couple of years in a row. And then I fell flat on my face in terms of like my desire to do it anymore. And I didn't want to be number one. I didn't want the numbers, sales being a numbers game. I, I was so turned off by it. But I had to sit back and ask myself, well, what made me good at this before I was number one? What, what got me out of bed? wanting to do this before I was number one, before all these, you know, my ego got in the way with, with the achievement of it. And it came down to two things, building relationships with people and helping them solve their problems. 
And from that point on sales for me has been, even though I had massive success before that sales completely changed because it was less of a science and it was more of an art. And I think that's why women are really good at it because it's a feminine art of connection, of building relationship, of caring about people. And really at the heart of it, I haven't said this word yet, but this is really what selling is it's serving. And that's what we do well as women, we serve, we care about others. And so I think that there's such a huge opportunity for women these days in sales, as we see the tides kind of turn and the approach to selling is becoming much different. And I think women have a big place in that. Yeah. So people listening can't see me, but my, I'm basically a bobblehead as you were talking, I've been (laughs) nodding like crazy the whole time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to close us out by asking about some of your, you call magic phrases for getting your way more often in conversation. Uh, Can you share with us a few of those? We, we'd love some magic on today's podcast. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Let's work some magic here. So one of the reasons that I have found that people don't ask for what they want in life is they have a fear of rejection. Maybe they feel like they're being too pushy if they ask. Um, there's a lot of reasons because really your success in life is determined by your willingness and ability to ask for what you want. And so if you're not asking, then it's probably because you're afraid of rejection or one of those reasons. So one of the phrases that I like, there's 32 magic phrases. There are so many amazing ones, but one of the first ways that I like to teach people to use the magic phrases is there's a rejection free opener that they can use. So the magic phrase is, I'm not sure if it's for you, but, and it's a great way to introduce just about anything to just about anybody at just about any time, because what you're doing is you're saying it in a very rejection-free way. Here's why it works. Let me give you the, the math teacher in me wants to explain the why that it works. I'm not sure if it's for you is basically you saying no pressure no pressure. I'm not saying something that you should like or want. I'm saying, I'm not sure if it's for you. Now, why that works in the other person's brain is it speaks directly to their subconscious. And that's why all of these magic phrases work because you're speaking, it's sales psychology, right? You're speaking to the subconscious brain, which does not have a maybe. It only has yes or no. Your subconscious is making decisions for you all day. As a matter of fact, it's breathing for you right now. Your heart keeps beating and you're not telling it to. So all day long, it's making decisions. So when we have magic phrases that speak directly to that part of the brain, we get right through to people. We have more of an impact. So when you say, I'm not sure if it's for you, their brain says this, let me decide. I'll make that decision. And then what you have is somebody who actually wants to know what you're going to say, because they're like, I'll tell you if it's for me or not, right? All of this is going on in, in a split second. The reason you use the word, but is, you know, because a lot of times people are like, don't use, but because it negates everything that came before it. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. We want to negate. I'm not sure if it's for you, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Yeah. That's really what you're saying. Right. And now what you do is you have the person focused on the thing that comes after the, but which is exactly what you want. That's the whole point to begin with. You wanted them to be focused on the thing you wanted to introduce, but in a very rejection-free way. So it's a great way to, in a sales conversation, um, or maybe you know, you're know you putting on a free masterclass and you wanna let some people know, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but I've, I've got a free masterclass coming up. Um, maybe you're inviting somebody to a new restaurant. Hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but we're gonna go grab sushi this Friday night. Would you like to join us, right? It's a very easy way to introduce in any kind of a conversation, something that if, if it's not for them, cool. They might say, yeah, you're right. It's not for me. No problem. No rejection. Could you put it out there first? Yeah. Oh, God. So good. It just a lovely reminder how 
powerful words are and how word choice really does matter. Do you have time for one more magic phrase? Yeah. I kind of want all 32 of them, but <laughs> yeah. I know, right? They're so good. Um, another one that I really like. So one of the toughest things is like, we can't tell somebody that, that they're wrong. We can't tell somebody, nobody wants to be told what to do, right? So this magic phrase is really powerful because it's a perspective shifter. It's a way to help shift someone's perspective. So for example, if you're in a conversation and somebody's like, oh my gosh, this really sounds great. Um, I, I know I want to do all this. I just don't have the time. Here's the magic phrase that I like to use. What makes you say that? Because it goes back to the four cornerstones that we said earlier. That's me staying curious. Like, again, I'm just confused. You said all these things that you don't want in your life and you know you want to do something about them, but you don't have the time. Let's just break that down here for a second. And I, I do that by asking one question. Well, what makes you say that? Or you could go back to the phrase I used earlier. Unpack that for me. Help me understand. Right. Again, it's just staying curious because it's like, I don't, because really what I'm thinking is, can you afford to not have the time? But we can't necessarily say that right off the bat. So it's, hmm, I'm curious. What makes you say that? That's a great answer to use when somebody says, Ooh, I don't think I can afford this. What makes you say that? I don't know. I'm not looking at their bank account. I can't make that decision for them. And that's not my job to do. My job is to get them talking. And so when somebody says something like that, hmm, what makes you say that is a great way to respond because it keeps them talking and then they get to hear their answer. And, and sometimes what they hear is themselves fighting for their limitations. And that goes back to what we said earlier too. Not every objection is meant to be overcome. And when you hear somebody fighting really hard, like, again, I work with a lot of coaches and I, I often say, listen, if they're fighting that hard at that point for their limitations, trust me, when you get them inside your coaching container, they're going to be doing that same thing right? When somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time, and you don't want to always have to be doing so much heavy lifting. So you get to learn a lot about somebody. And these questions are the best way to do that because it gets them talking and you get to see what you need to see and they get to hear what they need to hear. Again, so powerful. I, I have a, more like the, I'll give the response. And I remember somebody told me once, like, you can win the argument, but you won't win the client. And yeah. as you're going through that, you know, telling them why they do have the money or why they do have the time just makes them defensive. Asking an open-ended question like that, that puts it right back on them. It's beautiful. I know those of the listeners who are in sales or starting to realize they're in sales probably want some more of these magic phrases. I know you have a, a conversations to clients masterclass. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I cover a lot of um, what we were talking about today on the podcast more in depth in this masterclass. And I give some more examples of different sets of magic phrases and how they can be used. So really what I did is I developed some um, specific conversations and word tracks that you can have so that your conversations are turning into more clients and more business for you. So it's a great masterclass to go a little bit more in depth with what we just talked about today. Awesome. And you can find that on her website, healthystepswithnicole.com. We'll put it in show notes. Um, and also if you don't already follow her on Instagram at the Nicole Kramer, Nicole, thank you so much. This has been excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I loved it. My pleasure. All right. 
I used to avoid saying I was in sales using all sorts of fancy language to say anything but the word sales. And I get that it may not be the best word to use with the general public or a potential client, but it's important that we be honest with ourselves. I don't care what you do for a living. You are in sales. Whether it's influencing your kids to eat healthy or go to bed, advocating for yourself and the dream job or promotion you want, or impacting customers and clients with your product or service, you are selling. And so am I. So we might as well be great at it. This is Woman's Work.